The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Hostile in terms of Christianity, and you have to be the individual to hold the bloodstained banner of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And people ask you questions. I think we live in a society that does that now more and more. And you have to stand and give an answer for your faith. It makes me think about the sisters as they are already going through the Bible on Tuesday afternoons and Tuesday evenings going through 1 Peter, talking about what it means to give a defense for your faith. Have you ever had to do that? Uh, These are things that are important. Why? Because our church needs them. I told you last week, we're talking through an instructional message. We're going through our core values. We already discussed glory to God, glorifying God, Christ-centered lives, intentional relationships. Now we're talking about active integrity and respect. And the title today is, Can We Live Together? Because after reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, kind of, I want to pose the question, is it possible for black people to live with white people, Asian people to live with black people, Hispanic people to live with white people, et cetera, uh, African people, Haitian, you, Jamaican, wherever you're from, is it possible to live together cross-ethnically? Is it possible to live together with people who are ex-cons, who are felons, who are gang members, gang-affiliated? Is it possible to live in community? Or do we perpetuate the fears that oftentimes cause us to say that we cannot live with those individuals? Uh, are, we, are we a church that believes that we, uh, we are not divided by ethnic or social economic barriers are these things that we can live together and the reason these questions come up is because of some of the things in our church you've heard you heard me ask the question last week of the deep divides that we sense amongst our people uh, do people feel okay with the issues of uh, racial I mean uh, yeah racial ignorance and also things that where we people have asked questions and things have come up about what why isn't our youth more diverse and what how do we how how is that how can that happen is that what why what do we what is the problem in 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 it and these issues come up and it's and it's difficult to talk about and it's hard to talk about but we've taken vows as a family that we are going to commit to one another and in committing to each other, we have to have hard conversations. And this morning, we're going to continue the hard conversation. Amen, somebody? Y'all may not say amen this entire time, and I'm ready for it, okay? But, but know that as your pastor, and even as uh, people who are leading, the, leading in different areas of our ministry, we are thinking about these things intentionally, because slowly we can be lulled to sleep thinking that as long as we come here, everything is all right. And it's, it's, it's not. But the, the thing is, it's not to say, oh, we jacked up, so then we, we can't do anything about it. Absolutely not. The picture of the Bible is that we are to be a broken body, but, but reflecting the beauty of that tension. Good tension moves us forward. Bad tension moves us 
backwards. Challenging the status quo helps us to actually make impact in our own community. I don't think that we can make impact out in other communities unless we make impact in our own community. Amen, somebody. And so what we did was we took this particular passage in Colossians and I looked at the prepositional commands. We outlined where Paul is giving commands prepositionally to the people. And so he's talking about already what it means to be with Christ, this idea of union with Christ. And then you being with Christ shows a past, a present, and a future hope. And then also Paul sets us up to say that you, are, you have to mortify the flesh. You have to die to yourself by putting off all of the time, every day of your life, you're putting off the fleshliness of yourself. And those things are sexual immorality, impurity. You know, we have impure thoughts about one another. It's not just sexually, but it's how you denigrate other people in your mind. Whether you think of a racial slur, whether you think that someone is racist, whether you think less of someone else because of what they're wearing, whether you think less of other individuals because of what you see, how how they articulate their words, or what they say all of these things are difficult to work through saints and they're hard but what happens is we don't think about that in in terms of impurity but we also have passions of evil and covetousness which all line up with idolatry there's an idol in front of us that we're worshiping and sometimes we just do not know and as I was studying this week I was coming I, I was looking at what Paul was talking about that the love of money and how it is the root of evil etc but he was talking about what people crave they crave control these evil passions and covetousness help us to crave control for our lives that we don't necessarily have control so stop fighting with God somebody Serena can you hand me that water thank you Uh, but the the idea in which Paul is talking thank you the idea which Paul is talking to the church, he's saying to them also, you need to walk in newness of life. When you look at verse 7, in these you once walked and lived when you were living in them, but now, y'all see me last week, I had like seven coats on and I I was putting the coats on as I was talking to y'all and all these were all of the things that I had on. And slowly, I did not want to put those coats on today because it was so hot last week, but it probably would have been great because it's so cold this morning. But I had the coats on trying to give you a picture of what it means to have so many things on you that you don't know or that you don't, you're not aware of, that you've adopted cultural practices, that you've adopted, etc., and that you bring into the body of believers and then we bump into each other or we can't even engage each other because of everything that we have on. And in that, Paul is saying, put them away. What is that? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Paul is dealing with these issues because practically we can't live in community if we talk bad about each other. 
if we're cussing each other out, if we're using racial slurs against each other, if we're continuously use, not re recognizing our racial prejudice, not recognizing our own bias, not recognizing how we are coming into community and want things to be fit for our own, how we want our, our, our own church, to, what our own church to look like. We want it to look like that old church that we came from. We want it to have these many hymns. We want it, all of these different things that we want to piece together because we feel like if I have if our worship fits what we desire then it's going to be a perfect worship service and beloved that is the problem that we're trying to come against and I believe Paul is as well when we are trying to be intentionally cross ethnic cross social economically cross generationally sometimes you don't think about how generationally there are issues uh, older people think different from younger people. You hear it all the time. Back in my day, we didn't do that. We didn't have that. Or uh, we did things diff this way. And then you hear young people who, who buck up against that. Well, this is a new day and age. We have so many different things at play. If we were just one church that looked all the same and we all had some of the same amount of money in our pockets and all of us came from the same demographic and same geographical area, everything would probably seem to be better, right? But I don't think you came to be a part of this community because you wanted the sameness ethnically, class-wise, generationally, culturally, etc., just to feel comfortable. I believe God sent you to this place to actually sanctify you through community. Do you believe that? So here's some things that I want you to think about as I'm, as I'm talking because uh, as I'm going through this again as your pastor, this is instructional. And so many of us have come to this city. I'm a transplant and many of you are transplants. Some are Memphians, some come from surrounding areas, etc. One of the things you think about and when you think about community, oftentimes you think about how you can create your own community and piece it together. And what happens is if you come through MTR, you feel like that's your community. If you come here through TFA, that's your community. If you come through here, if you come here and you are you've born in Memphis, you're from somewhere, you have community from a previous uh, from a previous uh, friendship friend group church community etc you stick to those individuals my challenge to you this morning wherever community that you come from and wherever you are I want you to think about this in relation to your church community not the communities out here y'all get what I'm saying this morning and the reason being is, is because the only way that I believe that a renewed people can be a renewed society within this body of Christ, the local church, what I believe Paul is dealing with here, is by the way that we're intentionally looking to be act, use active integrity and respect towards one another, towards each other. My son can't love somebody other than him unless daddy and mommy teach him that. And he has to do that at home first. We can't go out and continue to try to do these different things and say that we're going to be about all of these, these matters that break down walls and break down barriers, etc. But yet, we, we don't try to do that with one another. The Bible particularly has 59 in the New Testament, 59 one another passages. 59 one another passages. And I heard it, I heard it one point in time that it was 101 in the entire Bible including the New Testament. Why, why is that? Because God believes in community. He believes in the fellowship of the believers. 
And so when we look at our first command this morning, it is do not lie. I talked about it briefly, and last week what I got to was the fact that we need to have truth to it as the adhesive that unifies us as a gospel community. Seeing that the New Testament shows us over and over again the one anotherness through those 59 passages. It informs us that we ought to welcome one another, that we ought to submit to one another, that we ought to serve one another, that we ought to stir up the gifts in one another, that we also ought to instruct one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, bear with one another, and encourage one another, all of which the Bible is emphasizing to instruct us how to, pre- how to prioritize community with one another because it's essential for the growth and development of your life spiritually. Amen, somebody. You may not think about the idea in which you are growing and developing spiritually in light of community, but here's the truth. The truth that we need in community, it helps advocate for those that are least. It helps advocate for the, uh, the authenticity that we need for one another. If we lie, if we come in here practically, now in the context, they were saying that possibly there were false teachers coming in and teaching, but I also think Paul was trying to get to the practical sense that you don't need to try to be a part of community that you're not going to be real with you don't want to come into a community that you feel like you have to assimilate you don't want to have to come into a community that you're simply trying to conform to the Bible tells us that we don't need to conform to the world we don't need to conform to various different ideologies we need to be constantly transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can be an authentic individual that again as we've seen that the knowledge of Christ helps us to image him better y'all know I was joking I wasn't joking but I talked about how we Uh, how we come and we look at each other through personality tests and I told y'all that I didn't like personality tests because everybody when I was at Covenant Theological Seminary immediately I was an ENFJ ABC all of those different things and then now we got the ideogram and the same thing and so every time somebody asks me what my number is I tell them every time the same number I'm 1500 okay I'm off the charts you cannot catch me on the ideogram but the, the, but I want to push that a little bit further too because if we are to continue to develop these relationships uh, I want us to think about what that means for us when we take vows with one another because we're trying to uh, be reconciled right but yet we don't have relationships that are causing us to reconcile but I think for families a lot of times I always like to measure that by how are you reconciling with your family how are your kids adopting what you are saying that you're doing those vows that we take remember last week we had the young men down here were a great picture of being dedicated to the Lord and giving their lives over to him when they were baptized and took vows they adhere to the vision the mission and the values of this church and listen they will struggle with holding them up and many of us struggle with holding them up but I want you to think about this are you reluctant though are you reluctant to holding these these things up that makes a clear disi- the distinction between struggling, trying to develop cross-ethnic, cross-class, cross-generational relationships, but then there's another thing but trying to be reluctant, I'm not going to do. That, that cannot work if we're going to be a community. That cannot work because then we're not fighting for commitment with one another, we're fighting against each other. And you know how much energy and time that we're wasting fighting each other 
Well, we should be trying to do exactly what we come here to do. Destroy every divide that tries to hold us from one another. That's what we should be doing. We should be doing it in such an intentional way that some of us need to measure it by how your son or daughter is trying to adopt that. Mike, how are you, you know, how, how do you engage it? Our son immediately, he recognizes his, that he's a brown kid. Immediately our son recognizes that I'm a black kid. And as he does, he compares himself to what he would call, our white brothers and sisters, yellow people. And as he does, he is already thinking about the divisions, the distinctions, and what makes him different, etc. And sometimes we have to keep him from thinking one is better than the other. Already, I'm helping my son fight to not carry divides and boundaries, and the young man is only four years old. How are you adopting these core values? How are you instilling them in your lives? How are you instilling them in, your, in the lives of your children? How are you embodying the one anotherness that we need? The reason, the reason that many of us drift from friend to friend, community to community, even church to church, is because we don't have a real commitment to the Lord that is a direct commitment to one another. And I'm not talking about a superior, inferior relationship. That is only when you're helping someone that is not like you, or you're helping someone try to develop something. I'm not talking about that relationship. I'm talking more of a familial relationship. A relationship that actually means that when we come in here, we got cousins, we got brothers, we got sisters, aunts and uncles, we got TTs, we got unks, we got, we got nephews, we got nieces, we got spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers, spiritual grandmothers and spiritual grandfathers. Mike, what are you talking about? I, being a transplant, I come into church bodies knowing that I need, my, my son only has biologically one living grandmother. One living grandmother. He needs about three other ones because they all passed away and he has not gotten to meet them. And so when I come into this church community, I'm looking for older sisters to love and be the grandfather, be the grandmother to my son. I'm looking for older men to be the grandfather to my son and love him as his own. Why? Because I trust in the familiarity, I trust in the familial aspect of the church to love him and to build him up in a way that will help him see the one anotherness. I look for that the same way. There's no way in the world that me, Mike Davis, as a Christian, can be here without older brothers in the faith showing me what it looks like to, to demonstrate Christian living. To demonstrate what it means to be a man of God. Because see, many of us, when we come into this community, beloved, we are not fighting for, to, we're not fighting for the truth in our community. We're, we, we casually come so that this community can fit our needs. And this is what moves us from a consumer to a contributor. Because Paul here, I believe, is through, through a heightened level of cultural intelligence, is really embracing what it means here when he says here there is no Jew or Greek. After saying put off and put on the new self, he's saying there's no Jew or Greek. 
No circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. There's no cliques. There's no clusters. In Christian community, there's a community of believers that love one another unconditionally as much as they can in order to show and demonstrate the equality that society desires. But what Christ said is that Christ is all and in all. That he actually levels the playing field to where no matter how much money you have in your pocket, no matter the color of your skin, no matter how old or young you are, there is no distinction that is going to make you inferior than the other people, other person. Somebody needs to hear and understand that this morning. Somebody needs to know that just because you walk in here and you feel like there are more white folks than black people or Asian people or Hispanic people, etc., that you have to perform or do something else. And white folks, you don't have to feel a level of guilt and shame because the thing about it is, if you don't feel it in here and you go out there, what does it mean? We have to work with each other through those issues and not try to take Fox News, CNN, CNSBC, and all of them, whatever else, doing the alphabet of the news that we watch to help us interact. If you have real life friends and individuals that are amongst your community and with you, you should be fighting, with, fighting for that. Each and every day, you should be trying to strive to understand and the reason being, and the way I know this, is because that's what's had to happen in my life. As a pastor who has been a pastor, who has been a minister in, in a predominantly African-American setting, in a predominantly white setting, and now a setting that we desire to be more multi-ethnic than we've ever been in our lives, what I've learned over the time is God has had to have me love his people and not love a demographic. Paul is expressing that you're being renewed in the image after our creator and that the systemic, the racial, the racial and uh, social economic barriers will be destroyed by the simple fact that you're being renewed. That's why I continue to say a renewed people make a renewed society. Essentially believers, what you need to know is this, is that we ought to advocate to deconstruct whatever would poison our community to be divided to construct would actually bridges the gaps in our society. And I want you to see Paul's bias because he has a Jewish perspective. Greeks, as he would say, are just all people that are not Jews. And then you can even see the fact that circumcised or uncircumcised, this is a Jewish perspective. Paul is essentially, essentially showing you that yeah, anybody that's not circumcised like us, God is not saying that they're, that they're inferior. And then barbarian and scathing, you also see from the simple fact that these are individuals, barbarians, who were seen and perceived as lazy and, and scathings who were rude and rough people. There's no divide. And that's why I keep saying that what of gang members and what of people who are prostitutes and what of people who are CEOs or corrupt or wherever, wherever they come from, what if they come in our community? Will we love them? Will we fully embrace them? Do we have that amongst our body and have we done that? What are things that we're advocating for that we're trying to stand in the gap and be bridges for so that we don't necessarily have the divides in every area of our ministry? 
in our children's ministry, in our nursery, in our youth, in our men's ministry, in our women's ministry? What are the things that we're trying to fight to be a truthful community that we won't lie to one another saying that we want reconciliation, but we're not fighting for reconciliation? We won't lie for one another that we're giving pretentiousness off being someone that we're not. Beloved, you don't have to be anywhere that anybody that you're not because we love you. And I'm telling you this from the bottom of my heart as a pastor, instructionally, that you need to be who you are. Because God has created you to be that. Flaws and all. And then we, as Paul is getting to in the next one, because I need to move faster and ever. As Paul, no, I have enough time. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I always feel the pressure of time. So let me, let me make this point, that it's a heightened level of cultural, and curi- cultural intelligence and a heightened level of curiosity that we need, right? Because when we think about a heightened level of cultural intelligence, Paul is telling you that there's no divide, but all is in Christ, and, and Christ is in all. So it's this level of equality, but yet at the same time we feel this tension. So what is this tension? I want to tell you that if you heighten the level of, curi- of, of, of cultural intelligence, you will recognize there's no monolith in any culture. That all black people are not the same, all Asian people are not the same. They're Chinese, they're Koreans, they're Philippine, Philippine, Philippine. People from the Philippines. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. That all Africans are not the same. People are from Sudan, Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa. People are from Latin America. They're not, they're not all the same. People from Paraguay, people from Buenos Aires, people from, uh, uh, people from Colombia, Brazil, Mexico. All white folks are not the same. People are European. People come from Europea. Excuse me, I'm joking. But all white folks are not the same. They have different narratives and different perspectives and understandings. Just because you have the same amount of money in your pocket as someone else or more than the other person, class-wise, you're not all the same. The reason I say that is because if then we are not of all the same and we have distinctions, what should happen? We should inquire. We should get to know. We should try. We should fight. Gospel commitment is that level of commitment, which then means curiosity. I'm always asking, just like we did Black History Month, you may not have paid attention, but as we were doing Black History Month, we were intentional with trying to tell you stories and narratives from a gospel perspective of why black black people sing the songs that they sing. I've been in meetings where some of my brothers and sisters who come from, who, who, uh, from a dominant setting have argued that there's not enough lyrics, there's, there's, not a, there's too much repetitiveness in it. But then you have to ask yourself the question if we're telling the truth. And this is what I learned from this weekend and I added it into my sermon because every story has a negative story and then if you change that negative, you're trying to change the negative story because of pain and hurt due to trauma. We're talking about racial trauma. We're talking about economic trauma. We're talking about all these things. You're trying to change that negative story into a positive story. But it only happens through truth telling. The idea in which you understand one another, another ethnic group is to understand and be curious as to why things are the way they are you begin to ask questions of why South Memphis is predominantly African-American you should ask questions of why North Memphis is predominantly African-American and why East Memphis is far more white than others 
You should ask yourself the question of why churches are divided and why lynching happened and why these things are part of our society. And then you should also ask yourself about immigration and why our brothers and sisters come from Sudanese or where they, what, what they were fighting through and what issues of genocide happened in Rwanda, etc., and other areas of Africa that caused people to flee to America. Be curious, learn and understand. But it's also, it's not, don't hear me, because I know clearly that white folk can think like, oh, he's just talking about that white people need to do something. This is not a racial conversation because I'm not trying to have this conversation with everybody else around the block. I'm trying to have this conversation with you because I know your name. That makes a significant difference because it makes a significant difference because then I no longer see you as a distinction as someone other, I see you as my brother and or sister. And that is the way in which we ought to see each other and be curious to one another and educate ourselves through that. Put on. What does Paul mean by this command? He's telling them to put on then. This idea in which he's already told you that the foundation of equality is through Christ is this idea in which that Christ holds everything together in him. He's the real strength. He is the real one that is making things the way that they are. He is the real one drawing us together more and more as a community. And so for many of us who have trouble in the congregation, whether you feel it's too white or you feel like it's too black or you feel there's not enough Africans, not enough Asians, not enough Hispanics or Latinos or Haitians or Jamaicans, when you struggle with engaging with one another and you may feel intimidated or you may feel like you have too much anxiety engaging in these things, I want to tell you that it is not for you to be uh, to, to, to recluse, but it's for you to actually engage in a way that will help you learn. What do I mean by that? Compassionate hearts, humility, meekness, gentleness, patience. Acts of God in which Paul actually says that these are ways in which you've seen Jesus interact with people who are helpless and harassed. Remember when Jesus helped those that were helpless and harassed, he provided for the spiritual and physical needs. But then also remember Jesus emptied himself in Philippians 2, 1 through, 5, 1 through 11, where he is actually emptying himself for others. Why? Because he did not see himself higher, higher than others. He actually seen himself as one that can die for his people. fighting for the sameness and what this means is a deeper understanding of having compassion for one another so once you begin to learn after being curious you then begin to say I can be sympathetic I can actually be affectionate I can actually not leave this place and think to myself that I've just come to get good worship and a word and I'll just and I just disappear but you come here to get to know one another and the word draws us together. So then, how we encourage Paul, Philippians is what he says in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, listen to this, beloved. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind 
doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only to his, not only look to his own interests, but the interests of others. The idea in which we become a community that can do, that can have compassionate hearts, be gentle, be meek, be patient, be humble, is that we do this. That when I come in, I look to the needs of Ashley. How you doing, sister? How's your week been? Did you need to slap Terrence? Then I look, and, and, I, and I look to John and I say, brother, how was your mother doing? And I listen intently. I look around and I, I, I know y'all by name and I, and, I, and I just ask you and engage in your life and listen for a moment. And begin to, to even when I hear something, be instant in prayer. I think I remember being a young person in, in, a, in a church and they always taught us how to be instant in prayer. So this week I was with a brother and he, I went to go pray with him and you know what, that baby is going through so much and I could just hear his hurt and his pain and he said something and I just stopped and I said, let me pray with you. And began to pray with him at that moment. Why? Because I know that there's nothing I can do necessarily, but I can look to his interests immediately by praying. That's the spiritual aspect. But then it may be somebody else. Somebody may have come in here and told you, oh man, I had a hard week. I, I, hadn't, be, I hadn't been able to put food on the table. Didn't get paid this week. I didn't have enough gas money to get to church. Oh man, I'm gonna come pick you up. How much you need, 20? Here's what I'm saying, beloved. Is that is a physical need and then there's a spiritual need. As a community, we should be trying to meet both. That is what it means to look to the interests of others. And sometimes it's inconvenient and it doesn't feel good. Because you got your Sunday morning routine, you come in, you get your coffee, you probably don't want to be bothered with nobody, you don't want to shake anybody's hand, you don't want to talk, you just kind of want to do your own thing. You've been talking to people all week. And so you're like, oh my God, I got to come in here and talk to y'all. I'm just trying to talk to the Lord. But can I tell you something? Can I encourage you that in order for us to be a, a gospel community, we got to be straightforward with the facts that, yes, I'm tired and exhausted. So you got to say, excuse me, I'm not in the right mind right now. I'm kind of, I'm tired and exhausted. But you know what? What's going on with you? Because that's what I got to do when I get home. Sometimes me and my wife, real relationship, we have to constantly engage one another. Okay? But sometimes I come home. Serena want to talk. Mike just want to chill. And she said, baby, you take about 45 minutes to chill, but we got to talk. <laughs> okay, give me a 45. That is that authenticity that you need in, in the relationship with one another and looking to the interests of others. It's very much practical. This is why when Paul says bearing with one another, it leads up to active integrity and respect because that issue of reconciling happens when you're trying to bear with each other. Have you ever thought about that? When you're trying to bear with one another and what that means? <laughs> it's not easy, beloved. 
I was reading in the New York, uh, New York Times an article about this orchestra in Philadelphia. It was a 400 instrument orchestra where all of these different instruments came together with people from different ages, stages, walks of life, uh, different ethnic groups. All of these people come together and they were, pr they were trying to play the instruments. And they were coming from this school which the government stopped giving them funding so they had all of these broken instruments. Strings that were just dis that were attached. You can see the hairs point poking up. And then you can also see other instruments that were completely shattered. Uh, people were trying to play the French horn. The clarinet and they did not get a sound out but yet they performed and the director cued them and as they were cueing do you can I tell you what they were doing they were trying to play their broken instruments and the director even though the sound didn't sound right he kept directing them beloved if we are those broken instruments and God is our conductor, I want to tell you this morning that some of us, strings popping off, keys popping off, you can't even, you don't even have a toot or a sound on a flute, anything, but I can tell you this morning, beloved, that just because you may not be able to make the same sound, God is still using broken instruments to make a beautiful sound of heaven. It took them to bear with each other to hear those sounds. And there are sounds from our congregation that we need to hear. There are sounds from one another that we need to engage in and we need to understand. Why? Because people are speaking but yet we, don't, we, we, have, we, we are not trying to hear. Why? Because it's not a perfect sound. And this is why when he brings up love, and I got to keep moving. Love, peace, and the word of Christ. This is why when it is it's so important to understand when he says it is above all, above all in verse 14, what do we need to do, Paul? Put on love. Put on love. I want to go back to forgiveness just for a minute because I skipped one thing. And that is in a community in which we forgive, we have to get permission to make mistakes. In a community in which we forgive, we have to give permission to make mistakes. Somebody has to ask me a question that mm, may run me the wrong way. But do I harbor ill will to them? No. Do I complain to somebody else? No. I go directly to that brother and or sister. Why? Because I've understood the deep forgiveness that Christ has had for me. That's why at the beginning I said that our commitment to the Lord, our gospel commitment has to, has, a, has to have a deep connection to our understanding of community. Because if we don't understand how forgiving we are, we will never be able to forgive one another. We will continue to step on each other's toes. Why is that important, Mike? That's important because for me even. I remember one day I was preaching back home and a relative of mine had a husband that was beating her and after I got done preaching they had came to church I've not seen this man but yet let me tell y'all because I, I know it's not easy to forgive he walks up to the altar and asks for prayer can I tell y'all as a pastor can I be real with y'all give me an amen can I be real with y'all I couldn't even go down there and pray with him I couldn't even do it because I haven't forgiven him. It's hard. The first thing I wanted to do was make sure he touched every piece 
of furniture in that place. Some of y'all may not understand what I'm saying. That's a sanctified way to say I, I, I hurt him. I know that it's hard to forgive. And I know that you've been hurt. And that's why I want to give you that story because I know I've been hurt. And it's still hard for me to forgive. But I got to work through it. Because God has forgiven me. And I don't know that brother's story, his hurt and his pain that he'd been through, even though it's not an excuse. And so this is what it means for us to love because this virtue is superior than all virtues. This is why he said it's above all, love. Because what does it do? Which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Mind you, this perfection is not one that means that you're free from blame, that without blemish. It is this perfection that you come together to be complete in one another. That is key. I'm telling you, I can't be a better me without you. Society say, I can't be a better me without my pockets being swole. I can't be a better me without my career being right. I can't be a better me without my kids doing the things that they need to be doing. I can't be a better me without being busy or workaholic. But I'm telling you, I can be a better me. I can't be a better me without y'all. And I want you to look to the person next to you and say, I can't be a better me without you. The reason being is because Paul says that Love is need to be put, it needs to be put on in order for us to have strength to be complete in one another that the harmony that we need actually is a harmony that will begin to glorify God. And when you see this, it's an illustration of the same body image that Paul has given, has given to, the, to the Corinthian church. That this love is like joints. It's that very thing that comes around your bones and, mar- and, and, and marrow, etc. I don't know the marrow part. But your bones, I just felt like saying marrow. It's not even in my notes, so forgive me. The bones, <laughs> the anatomy of the individual, but as a body that come together, that that, that love strengthened us and it hurts us. This weekend, I realized that some of my joints aren't as strong as they used to. The young brother moves so fast, and see, I'm not even that old, but my body's been beat up for playing football for all these years. I moved to the left and my knee gave out. I said, Jesus, I need you right now. Because I almost hit the floor, that's never happened to me, okay? But, but I can tell you right now that some of our joints are weak because we aren't loving. And so we make certain movements as a community and we bend and we fold. And the reason being is because we don't understand that the strength of love is not necessarily that we have to have things absolutely right, but the strength of love is actually battling and fighting for one another and making sure, as Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, that love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy and boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not, uh, it, it is not irritable or it is not not resentful nor does it rejoice at wrongdoing but it rejoices with truth love bears all things hopes all things endures all things beloved this love never ends that's what Paul tells us 
The, et- the, the, the eternality of that love gives us the ability to continue to walk with each other in a way that actually glorifies God and not individualize our own selves. And this is why he says, let the peace of Christ be with you. Because this peace that he gives you is a peace that ought to rule your lives. And in ruling your lives, we can think about peace as give me my own peace. You move to communities that have your own peace. You move to certain homes that have your own peace. You have a certain amount of money in your bank account just so you can have your own peace. You make sure you stay away from certain people so you can have your own peace. You make sure you stay away from certain areas just so you can have your own peace. You make sure you do all of these things so peace can be individualized. Perfectly packaged and sent to you in an Amazon package so you can have your own peace. But I'm telling you that the Bible does not teach us to have that kind of peace. This, in this particular context, says that our peace derives from one another. It derives from the strength in which Christ has given us because it is his peace and that we ought to show it to one another. My professor, Jay Scalar, would walk into class and he would say, Shalom, Shalom, brothers. And they would say, we would say, Shalom, Jay. And we were just sharing peace with one another, meaning peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. Preaching peace and making peace is something that we should be doing. Because it's the very thing that helps us to be thankful. This is why he says, be thankful. Another command. Why does he say be thankful? Because being thankful actually fights off every single thing that helps you to see the negative in your own community. If you're thankful, then you can fight every criticism. If you're thankful, then you can fight every racist thought. If you're thankful, then you can fight everything that tells you you don't need to be a part of this community. If you're thankful, then you can fight everything that says you don't belong. If you're thankful, you can tell every single individual in this place that you love them regardless of who they are are you thankful and I'm telling you thankfulness helps us to know that the peace is not a peace given to us from this world but as John told his people that this peace is a peace as as Jesus told his people through John's writing this peace is with you that because he leaves it with you that Christ gives us this peace and thus nothing can live around us that's wrath that's malice that's slander obscene talk those things cannot live around us lies can't live around us why because we're in here making peace that's why when I've said for three weeks now that we We need to exhort one another, encourage each other. The reason being, beloved, is because if we encourage each other, just if you just walk out of here this morning and encourage another brother or sister, I'm telling you, it strengthens the body. My son will be, if if I did not encourage him, he would not be able to have confidence in mommy or daddy or himself. He would go into the world all the time with low confidence. We go out of of here, whether whatever confidence level we may have, not having the confidence that our community has our back though. We need that confidence actually through the way that we fight for peace with one another. I also want to tell you this, that you need the word of Christ before we wrap up. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the the Father through him. Paul makes it clear that the only way we can grow is through worship. The only way we can grow is through worship. If you come here to hear a sermon, you're missing it. If you come here just to sing, you're missing it. If you come here to do it together, you got it. 
Singing knits us together. Praying brings us together. Giving amens during the sermons <laughs> helps a brother out. It, it brings us together because the teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom is not teaching and admonishing by own cultural norms, but it's teaching and admonishing by the very word of God. And let me tell you this, that it doesn't mean that only older people can admonish young people. Young people can talk to old people and old people can talk to young people. Some people are like, I ain't old, so don't call me old. I'm only 50 years old. That, that would, seasoned believers can help one another and others peer to peer. What does this mean if I were to go back originally to what I was saying instructing if we only come here we only come here for a moment we miss it beloved Paul is saying when you come together cherish that moment cherish every part of that moment through singing through hymns and spiritual songs appreciate the culture we may need we had a we, 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 we had black history month we may need to have another ethnic group history month so we can learn and we can grow and be intentional, singing songs in different languages, understanding what it means to hear those different languages and tongues from around the world. Why? Because we want to be able to think outside of ourselves and think about others. And what else does it do? It begins to help us nourish one another in our spiritual growth in a way that we cannot do it for our own selves. And so what does Paul say? Whatever you do, word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord. Don't do it for yourself. Love, these, love the people around you. If you have taken vows in this community, man, y'all can come on down. If you've if you taken vows in this community or you're a regular attender and you, continue, you consider this your home, I'm, I'm encouraging you to take these, these values of the church and make them your own. Make these a part of your life so that, so that we can all be in perfect harmony, working toward the same goal. Amen, somebody. I don't have a closing illustration or anything because I intentionally wanted to take the time just to say that as we love one another and exhort each other, Think about the gifts that you need to stir up in your community groups. Think about the gifts you need to stir up in your own, um, in your own accountability groups. Think about the diversification in those. Think about how you are trying to be more culturally intelligent through interacting with others that come from different backgrounds to you. And be here for worship night because that's what we're trying to do, what he says in verse 16 that we're trying to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I know some of y'all have been to concerts. I don't want to hear no teacher talking about, oh, I got to get up in the morning to go teach. Mm -mm, nope, because I know some of y'all that went to concerts on weekdays. I know some of y'all have been out and doing other stuff. Prioritize it. Prioritize your community. Show a heightened level of commitment to, any, any individual, in, to each other and to the individuals in this room. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your mercy and grace and how you continue to bind us together. I pray, God, that your word, your living word, abides in our hearts and help us to fight and live in a community, fight for a community and live in this community so that we may glorify you. 
Help us to continue to worship, Lord, with our giving at this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.